Welcome to another episode of the Property Pulse Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stockbridge. As always, these episodes are brought to you by Real, Real Estate Agents Group. Regardless of where you're selling, anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, we can connect you with the very best real estate agents in your marketplace. To be a great real estate agent, they have to meet our very high expectations. So if you're struggling to identify who the top agent is in your area or who may be the best fit for you, well, simply reach out to me on davestockbridge.com and we will scour the marketplace for the very best real estate agent for you. So thanks so much for joining me again on the Property Pulse podcast. Every episode I aim to bring you helpful hints and tips that I know will help you make and save tens of thousands of dollars regardless of where you may be anywhere in the world. We're applying the first principles of real estate. So these are principles of real estate that you can apply pretty much anywhere in the world. And now today I'm going to be talking to you about Well, some of the pressing issues in my marketplace that I just know you're experiencing where you live right now, and that is that we seem to have a political elite in uh, in the Western world right now who are well happy for normal working people to have substandard healthcare, substandard roads, substandard education for their children. Um, and there seems to be no way out for normal working people. In other words, normal working people are voting for the same parties that keep delivering the same results. And so we find ourselves politically in this roundabout. Um, now, this roundabout, this political roundabout, also ends in a political blame game. And this is within that blame game that things just never seem to happen. So uh, when I say this to my friends in Canada and the United States and in the UK, they tend to agree. They tend to agree that uh, getting access to basic services seems to be harder now than what it was 10 years ago. Houses are, are certainly a lot less affordable now than they were even just a matter of two or three years ago. They're at pains to meet ends meet when it comes to uh, or to make ends meet when uh, it comes to issues like inflation and yet it seems that the political elite in our country continue to uh, be neglectful of some of these basic obligations while simultaneously shoveling hundreds of millions of dollars of our taxpayer dollars some of it borrowed but always paid back by our tax uh, money overseas and overseas often to some of the most corrupt regimes in the world. So I'll bring you two recent examples here in Australia. So here in Australia, our government, and I'm sure I'm sure whatever the government you have representing you, if it's in the Western world right now, um, you're going to um, you're going to somewhat uh, uh, empathize or sympathize with uh, what I'm just about to say. But uh, our government in the last three weeks has dedicated $240 million of money or equipment to the Ukraine and to the Taliban. Now, right up until, well, five minutes ago, it seems, and for 20 years, we fought against the Taliban. Billions of dollars of our taxpayer funds found their way into fighting this 
regime or the, what is now a regime. Of course, after successfully securing government uh, only a matter of months ago, uh, the, Afghanistan has unfortunately uh, found that uh, Mother Nature has uh, maybe not been so welcoming of their regime as they would have hoped. And there's been some devastating earthquakes in that particular region. As a result of those uh, uh, earthquakes, our government here in Australia decided that their response will be providing $140 million to the Taliban so that they can uh, meet some of the needs of their people. Now, it is important to note that the Taliban don't open schools, they don't open hospitals. They, uh, much like the Palestinian governments, have kind of failed to provide some of those basic services to their people. And I guess that might be something that the Australian government and the Taliban have in common. So um, we've also had a circumstance where the Australian federal government has pledged a hundred million dollars, mostly in military equipment, but in support of the Ukrainian government, which, uh, well, right up until recently was thought to be well, the second most corrupt government in Europe and amongst the top 10 most corrupt governments in the world. But now, you know, we've got people who have uh, Facebook frames in support of their cause. And so I guess that means that $100 million in that country is now well spent. So we've now dedicated the best part of a quarter of a billion dollars to two of the most corrupt countries on earth. Whilst our roads deteriorate, our hospitals fail us and significant trees are creating sleepless nights for tens of thousands of Australians. These issues are largely ignored by the media. Now, for those people that uh, don't live in Australia, a significant tree here is a protective species of tree, normally a gum tree or a eucalypt tree, Now, uh, which are quite prevalent in other parts of the world, in South Africa and, and in California, a lot of eucalypt trees. Now, they're quite the feature of um, the Australian streetscape. Um, not altogether a naturally occurring feature of our streetscapes, but certainly it's been the most popular planting of our councils over the last 50 or so years. Now, there are a few problems with these trees, namely their root system's quite insidious, but also their branch systems uh, have the effect of breaking all of a sudden with very little warning. Uh, the trees do, you do grow enormously, can grow to 100 feet, but uh, a mature a uh, 50 year old tree would sit at about 60 feet tall and would have a very, very similar span and of course are often planted within 50 or so feet of houses, usually on the council verge. So uh, also a lot of these, as a result of these plantings in the street, um, you get naturally occurring plantings that occur in people's yards, front yards, backyards. And, uh, and as a result, if these trees are more than two metres in circumference at about chest height, it is uh, deemed to be a significant tree, which means that they can't be removed. So if you happen to be unlucky enough to have one of these properties, uh, sorry, one of these trees around your property, then you are um, unfortunately stuck with it. Um, the council well, the state government will often uh, provide a, a report uh, over the tree and, and provide a, a maintenance plan, which is more there to protect the tree than it is the people that live within the dwelling that the tree hangs over. And so we have this peculiar situation in Australia where these significant trees are well protected to more so than the houses in which people live in. And of course their property, often their cars are in their driveways, these trees hang over their cars, they drop nuts, they drop sap. They're not the most attractive of trees either, they just happen to be native trees. Now some of these aren't even native to the specific regions that they're planted. And the most prolific of 
uh, the planted trees uh, in uh, the metropolitan areas of my marketplace of, of Adelaide here in South Australia are indeed not even native to this part of the world. They're uh, native to the swamplands of New South Wales. They just really like this environment and are almost a weed, a pest. Um, they're certainly a pest to anybody that has to live within proximity of them. But it, even though all of this is well known by the populace and, and people are, are entirely dissatisfied by the ability of not being able to remove these trees, our local government has, well, and our state government, I should say, uh, which is a provincial government um, in South Australia, um, has decided to double down and encourage uh, a doubling of the uh, canopy size in South Australia to reduce heat soak, that's the idea, but also to maintain native vegetation and encourage these uh, mature plantings to remain for perhaps beyond what would be uh, helpful for the people that have to live within proximity of them and uh, this um, unfortunately is causing uh, quite a, a high degree of consternation what it's meaning is that people who happen to have these trees on their site might find that they, they can't extend upon or redevelop their allotment to subdivide into the future. Uh, they might find that um, they're quite, um, even people that live within proximity of this tree, uh, if it's within uh, the root management system of the, of the tree, it might be that people two or three doors away uh, down the road might be able to subdivide or extend on their home either and so having just one of these trees uh, within 50 meters of your house can really be detrimental to the property's long-term value and yet what our state government wants to do is double down. Now, there's a real dilemma with these trees. They, they are getting to an age now where they're largely unsafe and over the next 20 or so years, even more so. And so you will find a situation where I believe uh, there'll be a, a series of incidences. There'll be a situation where uh, perhaps a, an old Italian man walks out the back door to, to tend to his olive trees only to have uh, a limb from a gum tree fall down and unfortunately take them out. Then you'll find within close, uh, 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 within a matter of days or, or a week or so, or certainly whilst that incident is fresh in the media's and people's mind, an old lady uh, walks out to collect her mail only to find that she has a, a, a gum tree fall down and almost kill her. And then you have a, a young couple walking their children to school on a windy day only to find that uh, they unfortunately perish as a result of having to be in the wrong place at the wrong time when that tree branch fell. And I think you only need a series of these instances to create political backlash because you already have a groundswell of people in our community right now that are of the ardent belief that these trees are pests and, uh, and are also of the mind that uh, our governments are failing in order to address their concerns with these significant trees. So we've got that as a major issue that's going to be recurring and, um, excuse the pun, but significant trees will be a growing issue in the years to come. There's another reason for that, and that is in a lot of areas that were built in the post-war period, the drainage, the stormwater uh, away from these properties was often built out of asbestos. Now, a lot of these asbestos pipes are still only working because of the pressure of the water going through those pipes um, and if they happen to uh, endure any type of external stress they're essentially paper mache and so uh, at this juncture um, we're finding that we are having to replace 
much of this uh, old infrastructure, these old asbestos pipes, which is quite a dangerous material to be working with, even more dangerous to be removing out of the ground, and of course not entirely safe for the environment to be dumping either. But nonetheless, there are miles and miles, there are thousands, tens of thousands of miles of asbestos pipes uh, lining the, uh, the council verges, competing with the significant tree roots for space. And of course, the significant tree roots are winning that particular war. So we have another ticking time bomb underneath our feet in the streets of uh, Adelaide. And I'm sure around uh, other urban centres of uh, that were built in the post-war era right around Europe and the United States as well. So uh, as asbestos was uh, the commonly used uh, substance for a drainage in that period of time. Now we can't blame the people of that period of course you know they were they were just doing what they thought was right at the time and and I guess you know to uh, enjoy 50, 60, 70 years worth of use out of that infrastructure we should consider ourselves uh, quite uh, uh, quite lucky um, that we've not experienced any um, health or disease issues or any uh, major problems or environmental uh, issues as a result of having uh, asbestos infrastructure to now but it is certainly a looming problem and especially over the next 10 or 20 years when this uh, asbestos material is approaching 70, 80, 90 years of age well um, these problems are going to be somewhat exacerbated um, especially when as I say these the stormwater system and the drainage system is competing with the significant tree roots for space in uh, the council verges across our suburbs. So there, um, there are a couple of the issues that beset ordinary working people uh, in 2022. The other big issues that politicians don't like to talk about is our health system failing us. Um, and roads. Now roads in particular, well roads, unfortunately it seems that the public have been conditioned over the last 30 or 40 years to accept roads of a third world quality. It doesn't seem to matter where you are, whether it's uh, you're in North America or um, in, in Europe, uh, where the road systems are generally in better condition and order than what they are here in Australia. But certainly over the last 30 years or so, it's fair to say that it's not just the subterranean infrastructure that has been failing it's certainly uh, that which is um, evident and can be seen and uh, on a daily basis and that's our road system our roads are actually a great indication as to how the government's looking after everything else because if the government isn't looking after that thing that you see and use every day then the chances are it isn't attending to the concerns of those things that you don't use every day and that brings me to health our hospitals seem to be incapable of processing emergencies in any type of timely fashion. Our ambulance services are struggling under the weight of the additional workload that's been created for them over the last 12 or so months where call-outs, emergency call-outs for a heart attack and stroke seems to have escalated to a whole new level and where we're seeing call-outs four times that of only a few short years ago. And so as a result of an increase in emergency call-outs and a reduced capacity of our emergency departments in order to process uh, people who are unfortunately um, in receipt of uh, an ambulance to their door, we uh, find ourselves in a, in a very peculiar circumstance where uh, hospitals are uh, not able to take in patients where 
ambulances are ramping, meaning that they are lining up and uh, emergency care is being delivered in the ambulances rather than in the emergency wards. Um, this is putting particular stress on AMBOs and so we're seeing a record dropout of uh, ambulance workers um, as a result of the extra duress and they're not able to do their job. They're actually doing the job of not just the paramedic but of the nurse and of the doctor and they're doing it under without the, the necessary equipment in the wrong environment and, uh, and under particular pressure. So uh, as a result and, and maybe not entirely qualified to be undertaking some of the emergency work that they're now expected to undertake. So you, you can see that there's a perfect storm that's not just been two years in the making. Uh, the reason why the pandemic response was to uh, lock down the population rather than allow the free flow of people was simply because, our remember, our hospital systems couldn't take it. And this is a problem in North America, in Canada, in the UK, in Europe, and no different here in Australia. And it's another blind spot of our political elite. Instead of beefing up our hospitals, instead of uh, providing uh, the resources that our hospitals have needed over the last 20 or 30 years, they've cut corners. They've tried to manage processes that are not serving the population well and that have been building up to this for some time and because of the pandemic it exposed these poor public policies that have been uh, the mainstay and also both major parties in whatever Westminster system you're in both major parties seem to be in agreement largely on health in other words they're quite happy to provide the minimum amount of investment required in order just to keep the thing going rather than providing the optimal investment in order to ensure that the people that pay their taxes have the services that the healthcare services they need when they need it which is usually in an emergency so whilst governments around the world are, uh, are, are um, pouring money into the coffers of uh, corrupt governments in the third world, we unfortunately find ourselves in a dilemma where ordinary taxpayers aren't getting the roads that they pay for, they're getting a, a, a diminished uh, level of education for their children um, and uh, they're having to deal with nuisance issues like significant trees almost uh, almost by design and uh, and certainly there's both sides of politics are to blame and these have been issues that have been growing over a generation or two and won't be quickly remedied and so why is it exactly that our political elite uh, have got a blind spot to that and yet are quick to virtue signal over the most basic basic uh, of, 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 of some of the most frivolous of issues that have very little impact on the daily lives of people. Well, simply because of distraction. Our political leader, I don't think, have the acumen to address the problems that have been a generation or two in the making. You'll notice that also we live in an age of leadership vacuums and where ideas, um, apart from on, on a cultural or on a peripheral level, aren't discussed. So we don't have leaders with grand vision anymore. And so how does this all tie into real estate? And how does this tie into, um, the, I guess, the, the first principles of real estate? Well, you would have noticed uh, over recent times that there's been an increased level in migration out of urban centres. So these are people that are uh, 
have grown up in, in urban centres and in suburban environments who now they're raising their own families are looking further afield. They're looking for, uh, they're looking for uh, to, uh, an opportunity to escape the suburbs. And as a result, we're finding regional areas are once again enjoying uh, a high level of popularity amongst home buyers. There's been a significant shift, especially in urban environments that were subject to lockdowns uh, for people to, uh, or severe lockdowns, for people to be now looking to uh, an alternative. Um, a lot of people were forced to work from home for extended periods of time and that's given them courage to be able to work for themselves in some cases or to leverage technology so that they can work wherever they want and maybe not have to spend as long in transit coming and going from work or it just means that now they've got the hang of working from home it doesn't matter whether they work in the suburbs and drive half an hour to work or whether they live in a regional area an hour and a half away from work because simply if they don't have to drive to work every day then that's not the be all and end all about where they raise their children. Of course, we tend to raise our children in suboptimal urban environments, unless you happen to be moneyed enough in order to be able to afford the leafy suburbs of your particular part of the world. You tend to find that once you get out of uh, those um, highly coveted and, and uh, tightly held uh, leafy suburbs and you find yourself in working class suburbs, well, the, even the quality of the public schools isn't what you'd find in the leafy suburbs. Uh, the quality of the road certainly isn't and the quality of healthcare is certainly uh, of a standard that people in the leafy suburbs would uh, certainly not be uh, impressed by. And so there is no wonder why people are seeking to escape those places where the, the public are unfortunately having to pay their taxes in support of substandard services and when those people have the opportunity to move regionally they are and and of course their um, this migration to regional areas is uh, having the effect of resuscitating communities that have been slowly dying over the last 30 or 40 years certainly since the post-war era and so we are seeing that as a trend emerge the uh, area that enjoyed the highest capital growth in my state was a regional area where property values had doubled. The area is called Cleve, and property values had almost doubled uh, in the last 12 months. And, and that was not a feature of any other suburb in um, the metropolitan areas where the best of the capital growth was still around 20%, which is still extraordinary. But to have property values double is certainly something else and speaks somewhat to what I'm saying here. The effect of poor public policy in urban areas over the last 30 or 40 years is meaning that those that can afford to and are able to and who can work unencumbered are choosing to raise their children outside of urban centres and moving to urban centres, putting pressure on property values in those urban areas. Now that pressure is not necessarily being um, felt by those people that are buying in those areas because still, even though capital values might have doubled in some of these locations, the reality is, is that the values are still vastly under 
that of comparable properties in a suburban setting. And so it's enabling working people to be able to make those moves, improve their lifestyle, and that's leading to a decentralization of the population, which I feel that in the fullness of time will lead to a, a stronger, stronger commu local communities and, uh, and perhaps a society that's not on a constant downward degradation. So I'm Dave from Real. There's uh, some of the things that are going on in our marketplace that I'm confident would be happening in yours, wherever you may be in the Western world. And I'd also like to uh, just finish this by uh, just saying to people that if you are uh, hearing this podcast and it's ringing true with you and you are living in Canada, the United States, as many of our listeners do, or the UK, then you do live in a representative democracy, although it might necessarily feel like that. And there are elections that happen on a local, provincial and, and, and general elections that happen regularly enough that if you are um, so willing uh, and, and then writing letters, writing emails, having meetings with your MPs about these issues just might make the difference because I'm firmly of the belief that our political elite rarely do anything about it because they're uh, other elected um, members that uh, normally sit comfortably under the political elite that are making the big decisions, usually those in cabinet and their advisors, but those that make up the numbers and that ultimately choose the leadership team of their respective parties are blind to these issues. They're not raised at an executive level and they're rarely raised by the people that are most uh, badly affected by it. So take that opportunity, write to your MP, send them an email, make a call, tee up a time to meet with them, pop out at one of their street corner meetings and let it be known that you're no longer willing to tolerate a second-rate healthcare system, third-world roads, and uh, an infrastructure that is failing you, whilst also tolerating dangerous trees hanging over your house, property, and family. I'm Dave from Real. I hope you enjoy these helpful hints and tips, uh, and I'll look forward to bringing you more soon here on the Property Pulse podcast. Thanks for listening. Here on the Property Pulse podcast, we aim to bring you helpful hints and tips to help you make and save tens of thousands of dollars. Now, that doesn't matter whether you're a first home buyer looking to secure your very first property or whether you're a seasoned investor building a substantial portfolio. Here, you'll get all the information you need to make better decisions about what your next step will be. Also, for real estate agents that are listening, you can go to davestockbridge.com.au and if you're interested in how I sell 100 homes a year without an infield personal assistant and you're looking to build your presence in your marketplace through the use of podcasts like this and other social media means, then jump on there right now as I've got courses now available for people just like you that want to accelerate the growth of their business they want to attract more business with less physical work and they want to take advantage of the cheapest form of advertising available anywhere in the world which of course is organic social media reach so if that's of interest to you then head over to davestockbridge.com.au now and click on the links to register